From WUWM, Milwaukee's NPR, this is Capital Notes, a podcast about Wisconsin politics and politicians. I'm Marty Michelson. Each week, I discuss noteworthy developments with J.R. Ross, editor of WISPolitics.com. Here's our latest conversation. Hi, JR. So uh, Milwaukee Mayor Tom Barrett raised many eyebrows last week when he said he's thinking about running for governor again. It would be his fourth time, and he's lost twice to Governor Walker. He ran against Walker in 2010 and then again in 2012 during the recall. What is the likelihood of Tom Barrett entering the race for governor? In making calls last week, the kind of sense that I got was that it it was less than 50-50 he would get in. But there's also a feeling that Barrett sees an opening because his Democratic field really hasn't seen anybody break away from the pack or really establish him or herself as kind of like the candidate to beat. And so with that that happening, he sees a possibility of him being able to jump in the race and, and have an impact. Now, the question is, you know, we're here in late April already. Nomination papers are due June 1st. The primary is August 14th. It's not like you just step into a campaign and take off. You have to build an operation. You have to raise money. You have to line up people. I mean, there is a long list of things that Barrett would have to do to get in, and that's where some people are having a hard time seeing him run because it's late in the game. And while he had roughly $622,000 in the bank in uh, December, which is more than any of the contenders had that same time period, that's not like, you know, overwhelming money that would blow people away and just, like, chase people out of the race. So... He's got a number of hurdles to clear. And by the way, when you talk to Scott Walker's people, the governor, in their minds, would love to run against Tom Barrett again. To them, the playbook has been written. You run an anti-Milwaukee campaign because people out state aren't real big fans of Milwaukee a lot of times. You point out all the problems there are in Milwaukee, everything you know, from crime to how often uh, MMSD dumps uh, human waste in Lake Michigan, and you have a winning playbook in their minds. So... Even with a difficult environment for Republicans, they think that's a way to win. But, you know, one more thing in Barrett's favor, he's got to be thinking from people I've talked to that, you know, he ran against a, a GOP wave in 2010 and 2012. Obviously, there was a, uh, this kind of sentiment that, well, maybe Scott Walker had done something people didn't like. Recalling him wasn't appropriate because it wasn't illegal. He fought that headwind. So this is now an opportunity that you would run where you'd have the wind at your back. So it's got to be something that's tempting him. But I just... The final um, kind of conclusion people are reaching is that they just think it's an uphill guess, right? Uphill right now of Baird actually getting in, but he hasn't ruled it out yet, so he's keeping that that possibility alive. In the meantime, Governor Walker is pledging that if he's elected in November, he won't leave office during his term to join President Trump's cabinet. He said he would serve a full term. We've heard this before. Walker promised during the 2014 campaign that he would serve the entire four years, but then, soon after he won, he mounted a presidential bid. So do you think the Democratic candidates for governor will jump on this and remind people that Walker has made this vow before and broken it? Sure. Well, I mean, he left himself some wiggle room in 14, but also when he was county executive. He was asked if, in uh, running for election in 2008, I believe, he was asked if he'd run for governor in 2010, and he kind of danced around that topic then. You know, part of what Walker's trying to do is tell voters he learned his lesson. Uh, when he won re-election in 14 and went out right after that, started flirting the bid for the presidency, his poll numbers tanked. And if people think about that or reminded about that, they're not real happy that Governor Walker did that. This is something that kind of, you know, trying to assure them, hey, 
he learned his lesson. He's sticking around here. You know, now, to be honest with you, if you do the math for Governor Walker, he's really looking at 2024. Now, there's always the possibility that, that President Trump, you know, announces out of nowhere he's already made America great again and doesn't seek re-election in 2020. But it's unlikely that Walker, I mean, would challenge a sitting Republican president anyway, right? So in his, you know, future, he's got to be relevant until 2024. That's the next presidential election after that. That you sure have an open seat, again, barring something unusual happening to President Trump. So guess what? If he wins re-election, you know, that's, that's an if, wins re-election in 2018, he begins that term in 2019, that term would end in 2023 in January, one year from the, the day he leaves office, roughly, the Iowa caucuses. I mean, it's, it's a perfect bridge in some ways if, another big if, if Walker wants to run for president again. There's no guarantee he will, but if he wants to, there's your way to stay relevant. Now, if he loses this fall, that would be a very uh, damaging blow to his hopes for seeking higher office down the road. But, you know, I think part of what he's trying to tell people with this pledge is, hey, I've I'm here for real this time. The question is, will people believe him? Another interesting development, candidates turned in their nomination papers last week for two vacant legislative seats. As you recall, Governor Walker refused to schedule special elections for these seats, so a court ordered him to do so. Candidates are running for the state Senate seat to replace Republican Frank Lassay of De Pere and the state assembly seat to replace Keith Ripp of Lodi. What does the slate of candidates look like, and are there some strong contenders? Well, look at the Senate side first. We have um, Caleb Frostman is a Democrat. Uh, he so is unopposed on that side. On the Republican side, you've got State Rep. Andre Jacques, uh, who's running against Alex Renard, who uh, works at his family business up in the Green Bay area. It's really interesting in that race that there's a perception, at least, that some Republicans in Madison think that Jacques would be a tough fit for the district in the general election because He's a bit more conservative than it is, and also he not, does not have a strong track record raising money. So it would be interesting to watch how that race plays out. Um, on the assembly side, they've only got one Democrat who's running right now, Emily Graves. On the Republican side, there are four candidates, I believe. Um, we still kind of sort out who is really um, going to be a, build a serious campaign, but it looks like John Pl- Plumer. He was a member of the Lodi Town Board and a small business owner. He was kind of recruited by the uh, some of the Republicans to run. There's a guy there, for example, Spencer Zimmerman, who's run. He actually lives in Janesville, which is not in the district. He also ran for the 58th Assembly District in the December special election, which is not in the district. So he's kind of a perennial candidate, not really serious, a, sort of serious contender. But the other ones are Colleen Locke Murphy of Poignette and uh, Darren Schroeder of Columbus. So we're waiting to see kind of how their campaigns evolve, but they've got a short window. You know, here we are, the last full week of April, and the primary is in about uh, three weeks. Could the outcome of either of these change the makeup of the legislature? No, these are not going to change the composition of the legislature. Republicans have an 18 to 14 majority right now in the state Senate. If Democrats pick this up, they still need to pick up a few more seats in November and hold the first, because remember, it'll be back in the ballot again in November, if they want to take the majority. Uh, in the Assembly, the Republicans have a significant majority. This is not going to affect that. What it is, though, is an opportunity for Democrats to pick up another talking point to build the case of a blue wave coming in November. Remember, we had the 10th Senate District in January. A Democratic, a Democratic candidate won that seat 
um, by like 10 points that had been held, won by President Trump in uh, November of 16 by like 17 points. Then we have the state Supreme Court race that Rebecca Dallet, a liberal candidate from Milwaukee, won by a dozen points. You know, you, it's an opportunity to build the case something is coming. Why it's important for Democrats is if you can build that case nationally, then donors will open their wallets to give to the cause here. If they don't see a reason to give, they're not going to just send money to Wisconsin for the heck of it. They want to see an opportunity to win. These seats provide another talking point to make that case, and that's part of it. And also, if you're a Republican, you don't want to keep these losses going. You want to try and stop the narrative of of blue wave is inevitable. You know, Republicans have been pushing back a little bit on the whole uh, use of the Supreme Court race in this discussion because it's not a true partisan race. I mean, we kind of know that one can't a liberal, one's a conservative, but it's not a true Republican-Democrat matchup. So they've been trying to downplay a little bit, but it is. You just don't want that narrative of these losses piling up if you're a Republican and you're in the ballot this fall. Governor Walker says he'll stay neutral and won't endorse State Representative Andre Jacques for the Senate seat. Why is it important for Walker not to weigh in? Well, you know, you just want to kind of stay out and let let that voters do that. I mean, for Governor Walker, there's not really a big upside. If you if you irritate primary voters, you know, alienate them, maybe they're enthused about coming out for you come November. So there's not a big upside and, you know, unless there was a really a compelling reason to endorse. A lot of times, you know, sitting officials stay out of these kind of races because they don't want to, you know, offend anybody. And finally, UW Regent and former Ryan staffer Brian Stile announced over the weekend that he'll run for House Speaker Paul Ryan's seat in Wisconsin's 1st Congressional District. It happens after two more prominent Republicans, lawmakers Dave Craig and Samantha Kirkman, bowed out. I'm hearing that Stile already is considered the frontrunner for the GOP. What kind of advantage does he have? Style is pretty much it for Republicans. And part of the reason is that you know Ryan's announcement coming in April created a short window to kind of make a decision, in or not, begin building an operation and prepare for that primary in August. It is a, a quick race. And uh, Style had the advantage that in 2012 when Paul Ryan was running for vice president, Style had expressed an interest, from what I understand, of running for this seat if... Ryan won the vice presidency and had to resign. Obviously it didn't happen, but he's had an eye on it for a while, so I'm sure he's been doing things to build a foundation for this moment. Ryan gets out, he can make the calls right away, knows where to go to line up support, and you know, when you're doing this, you have to line up support, and I'm sure that for some of these folks who made calls, they found out quickly that it was a, a difficult task and decided it was better to go back to their safe assembly seat than it was to take a chance on a contested race like this, and and maybe a bad year for Republicans. We're trying to figure out what the environment's going to look like come November. All right. Thanks for joining us, JR. Anytime. That's WISPolitics.com editor JR Ross. You can join us each week for our conversations. And if you haven't done so already, subscribe to Capital Notes on iTunes, NPR One, or wherever you get your podcasts.